Well, good morning. Greetings to each of you in Jesus' name this morning. Got a little illustration to start with, so that's why I'm down here. Um, you know what this is? $10 bill, right? You know his pictures on it? What? Alexander Hamilton. Yep. You know what this is? More money. More money. Yeah. It's a $20 bill. You know his pictures on it? Jackson. That's right. I need a volunteer this morning, preferably somebody between the ages of 10 and 16. Could I have somebody between the age of 10 and 16 come up here? Trey, you the only you the only brave one? Trey, which one of these would you like to have? You can have whichever one you want. But you have to make a choice. You can't take both of them. You can choose either one. Well, is it for to keep or not? <laughs> <laughs> it's to keep. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe so, but you can have whichever one you want. Uh, no. <laughs> it's a good question, though. It's not a difficult, it's not a trick. It's just you can have one of these and you can take it with you. It's okay. That's fine. Well, I'm left with the 10. Do you think it was because he thought Andrew Jackson was better looking? Was it because they used better quality ink to print that bill? Did he make a good decision? He did? Okay. Good. Why do we consider that bill to be worth more than this bill? I need another volunteer. First guy got 40 bucks. First guy got 40 bucks. You saw me put this $10 bill into this pocket, right? Well, I've got more money in this other pocket. Which pocket do you want the money from? You want the, you want the money from this pocket or you want the money from this pocket? The one where you saw me put the $10 bill or do you want the, the money from over here? Over here? This pocket. You know there's 10 here. You sure you trust me? He got 20 bucks too. But... He got 20 bucks for a different reason. He got 20 bucks because he trusted me. So he put value in, my, in our relationship. Every decision that you make is based on a value system. And our money is based on a value system. It's not in the paper. It's, it's in a value system that is... There's $100 bills, $50 bills, $20 bills, five ones, quarters, nickels, dimes, pennies. That's a value system. The value of those is not based on the actual object itself. 
but rather on what it means to our culture, what it means to our community. But we don't just make value decisions based on what we can see and feel and touch. We don't make value systems just simply based on what the facts that we know. We also make value decisions based on our faith and what we have faith in and what we put our faith in. The title of the message this morning is about money. Money matters. We're first of all, I want to I want to start out by talking about this thing of value a little bit in our value system. Value is established by some absolute. So maybe it will be the government. Maybe that absolute would be need or the limited supply of something. Maybe that absolute would be morals or beliefs. Culture, every culture gives value to things, and we give value to things by what we're willing to exchange for them. So you can trade for things, you can take cash and pay for something, but the amount of cash that you're willing to exchange for the thing is the value that you give to it. That value is guided by something deeper than just the physical. It's guided by what we believe. And the different, different cultures would believe that different things are valuable. And so that sets the value of what's, or the, the significance of anything, any particular thing in that community or in that culture. Money is an exchangeable set of values in the physical world. So the cash that we use and the money that other cultures use is simply an exchangeable set of values. They're recognized as, as valuable even though those pieces of cash were just pieces of paper, they're recognized to carry a certain amount of value in our culture. And they're exchangeable. And so we can take it and exchange it for something. Um, we can take a bunch of ones to the bank, and you can, if you take 20 ones to the bank, you can get a $20 bill in exchange. And it's considered to be the same amount of money. It's, it's worth the same. It'll, it'll exchange for the same amount of things I was looking at something recently to purchase and the seller didn't want a cashier's check. He said cash is king. And that's kind of an interesting idea that cash is kind of the, the ruling um, the ruling value set in the world of items, in the world of things. It's easy to go and give someone cash for something that they have, but it might be harder to get cash out of some item that you have. So let's say you have something that you want to sell. Sometimes it's hard to get what you think that thing is worth 
because someone else isn't willing to put out the cash to, to buy it. So cash is king of this value set of things in our culture. So when we talk about money, we're really talking about a set of values in a culture. And the money is representative of those values. So who decides? Who says that something is valuable? You've probably heard the saying, one man's junk is another man's treasure. So if something is valuable to you, it may not be to the next person down the street. What makes an antique worth more to some people than to others? To some people, antiques are very valuable and they're willing to pay a lot of money for them. And to other people, they're not so valuable. How about a rare painting? Would you be willing to invest several million dollars into a rare painting, the original of a rare painting, so that you can hang it on your the wall of your home? Probably not, but there are people who are willing to do that. So who, who determines value? And how do we, how should we determine value? So there's one absolute in every person's life that determines their values. And the greatest commandment instructs us to make God our number one value as believers. As the creator, he's the absolute of all value. And then his truth, his word, establishes the proper order of values in relation to both the spiritual and the physical. In 2 Kings 6, there was, a, there was a famine because of a siege that was happening in the city of Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, this is verse 25, and behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and a fourth of, of a cob of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. That's New American Standard. So there was this famine in the land because they were pinned into the city and they couldn't get out. And it got so severe that this donkey's head, which wasn't even a clean animal by Jewish law, and was the poorest part of the animal, was sold for 80 shekels of silver. And I don't know what the exact amount of that was, but I know that when they compare a day's wage in Jesus' day and the 30 shekels of silver that he was that he was sold for, that was estimated between twelve dollars to $15,000 in um, Jewish money, Jewish currency value during the time of Jesus. And this would have been several hundred years before that. So this is 80 shekels instead of 30. So we're looking at thousands of dollars at this worth of value that this donkey's head is being sold for. There's some question about what this dove's dung was, but the amount was about a fourth of a cup, or a half of a cup, sorry. It was about, the amount was about a half of a cup, and some people thought it was like a really dry vegetable type thing that was a type of food that they ate, and other people think that it's literally what it says it is. Uh, it was something that was valuable 
a certain amount of value on that in in those days. So we have these these people that are desperate for food, desperate for something to eat because of of the famine. And they're willing to exchange large amounts of money for it. And so maybe cash wasn't king anymore. Maybe our need, their need was king. But I've often wondered who was it that was willing to actually sell the donkey's head? So somebody was willing to give up that food that they so desperately needed for a large enough amount of money. And then right following this account, there's this terrible story about two women eating a child. And that's a physical need that they had. And so people were willing to go to great lengths and exchange very valuable things to meet their physical needs. But what about spiritual needs? How important are they? And I believe because our spiritual needs are not as immediately obvious, they often are not given the amount of value that they should be given. What's God's interest in spiritual things? What does God have to say? What's God's perspective about money? I think it's what I'm trying to reach for. You know, we can talk about what our perspective is and what we're willing to exchange and what value we give to money, but what's God's perspective about money? You can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. These verses in Matthew chapter 6 are pretty straightforward, and I'm not going to say a lot about them, but Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19, we're thinking about God's perspective about money. Do not lay out for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay out for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or, your, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus starts out this passage by saying that don't lay up for yourself 
a treasure here where it can be destroyed, where it can be stolen. Don't lay out for yourselves. These, this monetary value can be destroyed. It can be taken away from you. Lay out for yourself what is most important. The things of heaven. Treasures in heaven. Where nothing can take them away, can take away that value. Nothing can destroy those things. And then he goes on to talk about, well, then he, then he says, talks about what you look at. The lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? So the thing that you're focusing on, the thing that is your absolute value, if that thing is wrong, then your life is going to come out wrong. If the light that's in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? But if your eye be good, if it be on the right thing, if it be on the thing that's valuable and what is good, then your whole body will be full of light. Then all of your life will be ordered properly. Because of that, he says, don't worry. Don't worry about the things that you're going to wear. Don't worry about the things you're going to eat. Don't worry about the stuff that you're going to put on. Then he uses illustrations. He talks about the birds. They don't sow and reap and gather into barns, but they have food. God feeds them. The lilies aren't concerned about what they're going to wear tomorrow. But God dresses them beautifully. Better than Solomon was dressed. Verse 31, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Our focus is not to be on those things. That's not to be our absolute value. For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. And the Gentiles there refers to people who are not believers. These are the things that the people who are not believers in God are focused on. And he, then he tells us why we shouldn't worry about it. He said, God knows that you need those things. He, God knows that you need food. He knows that you need clothing. But here's what you should seek. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Jesus doesn't eliminate the need for physical things, for physical the value of physical things. He just puts priority on the spiritual. Those who don't have faith in God seek the value in the physical system. Those who believe in God seek value in His kingdom, in the spiritual. And that makes the physical secondary. Secondary, but not separate. We live in a physical world. We have physical bodies. So as I was preparing for this message, I thought about this question. Is your physical body a blessing or a curse? You could maybe answer that question different ways, right? But we see our physical bodies being 
a blessing primarily as they are placed into the hands of God for His use and for His service. As they become a vessel for Him. So is money a blessing or a curse? It's a physical value. It's, it's an exchangeable set of values in the physical world. Luke 16, verse 8. Jesus is telling a parable here about the unjust steward. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their, own gener in their generation wiser than the children of light. I remember reading that verse when I was a young Christian and being like, what in the world does this say? I don't know that I have it all figured out, but it's, it's really interesting what Jesus says. And I say to you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness that when, they fail, when ye fail, ye may they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot have God as your primary value place and money as your primary value place at the same time. It doesn't work. What is Jesus saying here about money with this parable? I believe He's telling us that we're to use money to the advantage of the spiritual. And He's telling us that what we have been given, we're going to have to be faithful with if we expect to be given what is more valuable. And so what we have, the money that we have, is not the primary value, but if we're not faithful with it, we can't expect to receive what is truly valuable, which is the spiritual riches that God has in store for us. The use of your money in the kingdom of God, the spiritual rules over the physical. Every time, the spiritual rules over the physical in the kingdom of God. Your use of money will determine who you serve. How are you using your money? Thinking about this thing of What our physical, what our physical possessions are for. I had an experience some time ago that taught me a lesson. I want to share it with you. Maybe I've told some of you this story already, but I'm sure it'll be new to some of you. I had a dream one night that I was down in my chicken house and I was looking into a nest, one of the chicken nests. And as I looked into the nest, it was full of dead chickens. And I woke up and I was like, I sure am glad that was just a dream. And 
A couple months later, a friend asked me, a friend who was not a Christian, he asked me how I viewed my possessions. And I had forgotten about this dream. But I I, I told him, I said, you know, I see my possessions as being in the hands of God. He can do with them what He wants. They're, They're His for His disposal. Um, they're not mine. Well, anyway, my chickens got sick. They got really sick. And we were losing hundreds a day. And the boys were helping me carry these chickens out. I still didn't remember this dream. I was walking through, and one of the things we had to do was open up the nest tops and pull the dead chickens out of the nest. There were a bunch of them in there. And one day I was doing it by myself. The boys weren't home, and I was walking through pulling these birds out. And I had this flashback of this dream that I'd had about these dead birds. And it was just it was just like it hit me that God prepared me for this. Anyway, I had the opportunity later to talk to my friend again and to explain he asked me he asked me about my chickens how my chickens were doing and it was right in the middle of losing all these birds and i had the opportunity to share with him that my possessions were in the hands of god we would be okay god would take care of us and it really illustrated and taught me a lesson about how fleeting and quickly the things that we have can disappear. And also, the opportunity that we have when we hold our things loosely, the opportunity that we have to show people where our trust really lies. Does your trust really lie in the things that you possess? Or does it lie in the hands of a God who's in control of all things? Having said that, I think there's some more verses we need to look at. 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts that drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Flee the love of money. Pursue what is really valuable, the development of who you are spiritually, the building of the spiritual kingdom. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. We see here in this passage not just the idea of riches being an issue, but also the desire for those riches. The love of the physical value system. The covetousness of the physical value system. And so you look at this passage and it says, the love of money is the root of all evil. 
And I didn't look up the original there to see exactly what the Greek was saying. But the idea here is, the idea I want you to, to grab a hold of is that because money represents the physical values, when we love money, what we're actually loving is the physical world. We're loving the physical instead of loving God who is spiritual. And so out of that wrong love comes wrong living. All kinds of evil as a result of that. There's a story or a story about an experience the disciples had, and I didn't look up the, for sake of time, I didn't look up the passage here, but you're familiar with it, I'm sure. It, it's about the widow who dropped the coins into the treasury, and there were people going through, uh, dropping coins into the treasury, and Jesus and his disciples were there watching this process, and there were wealthy men that came along, and they dropped in large amounts of money, and then comes this widow, and she drops in two small coins. And Jesus said, she dropped in more than all the rest. How's that possible? We would say this morning that Cade and Trey got the more money, right, than the 10. By getting a 20, they got more than the 10. How could Jesus say that the value was more that this widow put in when in physical dollars and physical value system, it was less. But it's simple. It's where her values were. Because of where her values were, it was more. How about the parable of the talents? The story where three men were giving different, given different amounts of money. One man was given five, one was given two, and one was given one. The one that was given five went and invested the five and he received five more, so he had ten. The one that had two went and invested. He received two more for his investment. He had four. The one who had one went and buried it in the ground. The interesting thing about when Jesus explains that parable, the commendation to the man who had five and the man who had two was exactly the same. The commendation was not about how much money they had earned. It was not about the volume of value, but rather what they had done with what they were given. So what are you doing with what you have been given? Because each of us has different opportunities. And what you're doing with what you've been given is how you're, how you're showing your values. Jesus said that widow had given all that she had, even all her living. So in proportion, they gave of their abundance. She gave all her living. In proportion, she was giving far more from what she had been given. So maybe we should just try to, to not make any money. Maybe we should just quit this money business. Ephesians 4.28 Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So we're to work. And note that we're to work the thing that is good. In other words, something that's beneficial. Let your, let your physical labor be beneficial to humanity.
But note also the purpose. Not just so that you will contribute good through your work, but also that he may have to give to him that needeth. Are we known as frugal people? As good managers? As people who have? Or, note the difference, are we known as frugal people? Good managers? People who have to give? Because you see, that's the purpose of that labor was to have to give to him that needeth, to provide. Here's another way to think about it. Is our frugality toward ourselves and our generosity toward others, or is our generosity toward ourselves and our frugality towards others? Makes a lot of difference. And it's going to make a lot of difference when you walk away from that deal, from the interaction that you just had with a, with a person, and, and how they feel about whether you were generous toward them or you were generous toward yourself. That's probably about every deal that you have on, in the physical world, in, in physical money, both parties are going to have a feeling about the interaction. Is it just important that you have a good feeling about the interaction? That you got a good deal? Or is it also important, and maybe is it more important, that the other person feel like they got a good deal? Do you have enough money to go out to eat? Then you also, if you do, then you also have enough money to tip well. If you have enough money to serve yourself, then you have enough money to serve others. Do you like tips? then tip like you mean it. Put your money where your mouth is. Do you believe in the law of sowing and reaping? Do you believe that if you sow generously, you also reap generously? The Bible says so. But what do you want to reap? Are you willing to sow your money to reap spiritual things? Do you believe that God holds the purse strings? If you're willing to commit your purse strings into his your purse into his hands, do you believe that he can open it up and put stuff in as well as direct you to to share it? Seek first my kingdom and I'll take care of the rest. God wants to hold your purse strings and he wants you to seek his kingdom. First, life isn't fair. Aren't you thankful that life isn't fair? Because if life was fair, you'd have it a lot worse than you do today. Because if we suddenly went to everybody in the world having the same amount, if we just averaged everything, and you went home today, to your home and everything, God had averaged everything. And you went home, you probably would be eating less for lunch. You wouldn't have as much variety. Your home wouldn't be as nice. Are you thankful? Are you thankful for what God has provided for you? 
In fact, you probably wouldn't get to drive a car home. You'd probably be walking. It's not really a Thanksgiving message. But we have a lot to be thankful for in the physical world. What are we doing with those things? What are we doing about that unfairness where we have so much blessing? 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. So we're talking about the fact that God has prospered us. Talking about the fact we have so much to be thankful for in the, in the physical world. And God is telling us to give in relation to that prospering. The way He has prospered us. You may disagree me with, with me about this, but I don't believe that the New Testament teaches a 10% tithe. I believe that it teaches a 100% tithe. God asks for all of who we are. And that includes our pocketbook. And we give it to Him. And we leave it in His hands. And we're willing to be for Him whatever He wants us to be. That was a God in my life. Money was a God in my life. And I had to give up my money. I had to let go of it. I had to open up my hands. The Bible talks about lifting up holy hands. I get the idea of hands opened up like this. We sang about that this morning in the song, lifting up holy hands. Those are hands of both releasing and receiving. We release everything to God and we receive back from Him. And it tells us to be people who lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And it specifically tells men to do that. And then it says, likewise, you women. You can research that sometime. But men, we have a high standard to lift up holy hands. Still, in now back to 1 Timothy 6. I didn't stop where Paul was done talking about money. He picks up later in the chapter. He says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Do you hear the words of Jesus in Matthew reflected in that? Not to trust in uncertain riches. Don't put your trust in those things for tomorrow, but in the living God who has given those things to you. And here's what he says to do, that you will do as a result. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. I'm challenged by these passages on money. How should we view business? 
What is success to us? What is value? What is valuable? What are we trying to do with business? What are we trying to do with the work that we do to earn money? What's really at the heart? And we, it's something we need to search our hearts about. What am I really trying to do with all this energy and effort and work that I'm putting into my business life, my job? What am I really trying to do? I'll give you two simple rules. One's the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. And do not compromise what's true. I believe that our businesses, our business endeavors, should not be for ourselves because we are not our own. You are bought with a price. And they should be three things. They should be an avenue to show Christ as you interact with the world. One thing, they should be an avenue to show Christ. They should be a support to your family, your church, and your neighbors around the world. And that they are a responsibility to handle what God has given you according to His will. Do you believe that money is secondary to the spiritual? And I believe the reason that money is so dangerous to us as Christian people is because... It is so tightly linked with the values of the physical world and how, how much we are tempted to be drawn in to valuing the physical because of how present the physical is. We live in the present in a physical world and we, we have this temptation to secure the present instead of to live for the future. The viewpoint of the world is to value the physical above the spiritual. And we're surrounded constantly by that and we're interacting with it. And it has a tendency, has a, a nature, that interaction has a nature of rubbing off on us. But be not conformed to this world. Don't allow the world to press you into its mold of valuing the physical above the spiritual. The viewpoint of God is that the spiritual will properly order the physical. That the spiritual is above and empowering, should empower the way that we use the physical world. So be transformed. Has the Spirit of God renewed your mind about value? Do you see value the way God does? How are we doing in retaining God's perspective on value? Considering the amount of warning that the Bible has about money and about wealth, I wonder maybe if we haven't missed something. I wonder maybe if we shouldn't have more accountability financially with our brotherhoods. I feel like that could be something that could be very healthy for us. I feel like some of the things that we struggle with as communities, as conservative Anabaptist communities, is linked to the fact that we have not had enough accountability financially. 
accountability potentially in our business pursuits, our business ventures, accountability in our savings, accountability about what we really need for retirement, about giving, and about frugality. Maybe we don't need to all be exactly the same, but could we at least talk about it and learn from each other? And can we find a trusted brother who we can share with about these things? Or maybe sisters, maybe you could find a trusted sister and talk about the things that you are thinking about financially and test your viewpoints with your brother, with someone who is also hearing from God. So, I'm facing a decision. I've got a truck that's broken down and it's sitting at the mechanics and I was very fortunate. I bought that truck in 2007 had it for 15 years. It's been very dependable. Very few breakdowns. It only left me setting one time. It almost did this time, but I pulled it down into four-wheel drive and we went home with front-wheel drive. The repairs are over half the cost of the vehicle just to repair this one part that it's missing. Should I buy a new truck? Never mind the fact that we were talking about it within sight of where it broke down. Before it broke down. We were all together in the family in the truck. We were, we were going down the hill and I was like, maybe what we need is to go ahead and get a new truck. I've already, I already kept the truck longer than I normally would think, but it's been such a good truck. Anyway, I'm making a long story out of this. How do we make these decisions? I was fortunate to get in, in that particular line of truck, the 2003 was one of the best trucks. And that's one of the most dependable trucks, and that's what that one is. The next most dependable in the line is 2012, and then the next one is 2018. So if I replace this truck, should I replace it with a 2012 or should I do like I did before and get a 2018? Or should I get this truck repaired and, and hang on to it? It could be a difference of a $3,000 or a $20,000 decision or $25,000. Should I just go off of my judgment or should I talk to a brother I trust? There's at least one time that I bought a vehicle and regretted my decision. There's been twice since that's happened, actually. But this was one that I kept. And uh, I'm open to your input about it. Because there's a lot of factors that are involved. And I don't think that we 
need to establish regulation and criteria around money. I don't think that's wise. But I do think that we need to be making our decisions in relation with our brotherhood and considering the wisdom that is within our brotherhoods as we think about this thing of money. Because the Bible has a lot to say about the danger of wealth. And we as people need to be paying attention. And we're at a time and in a place, in a culture, where we probably have the most opportunity and freedom to amass wealth of any place ever in history, any time ever in history. And we need to take what the Bible says seriously in relation to this. And uh, John has talked several times about those verses there in Matthew 6 as being some of his life or his life verse. And I tell you what, I have learned John's my pastor and I have learned from him in relation to this. And I wouldn't say that John's application and my application is exactly the same. And I don't think that we have to go to a brother and talk to him and that we take exactly, we make his application exactly ours. But I do think we need to be open to the input of our brother to help to shift the way that we think, to help align ourselves better with what God's Word says. And so, may God give us grace in relation to this thing of possessions, of money, and of treasures here on earth. Because I don't believe we really want, deep down in our hearts, as Christian people, that that's the kingdom of this world is what we want to be promoting. I think we want to be promoting the kingdom of God. And we're going to have to keep our values straight if we're going to do that. So may God add His blessing. Let's have a song.